Hey, good morning. A lot of really good things happening already this morning. Um, we want to spend some time looking into the scriptures. Uh, and as many of you may know, uh, I'm in seminary right now, which means I'm writing a lot of papers, which means I'm also writing a lot of footnotes. And I say that because I need to confess that today's teaching needs a lot of footnotes. Uh, over the last few weeks, I've been very graciously uh, presented with a lot of good insights on this passage, uh, meeting with people, just studying uh, Acts 16 together. And so I just, I'm going to put a big footnote on this entire teaching and say thank you to all of those who have helped me study this passage. Uh, special thanks to the Lansdale House Church and to the Wednesday morning Kingdom Mischief team. Lots of great insights and questions. Um, which have shaped this teaching, and many more that I won't even get to touch today, but hopefully you can hear from them. Um, and actually, I want to invite you all into that process a bit of studying this passage. There's a lot of interesting things happening in, in chap Acts 16, and so we're going to try something a little different uh, to give you all a little time to engage with the text. Uh, I'm going to invite you to get with a few people in your row, and you're going to read a small section of chapter 16 and summarize it in no more than two sentences. So if you're sitting over here in this section, over to the right, you're going to be reading verses 1 through 5. And if you're over here in the left section, well, my left, your right, I guess, you're going to be reading verses 11 through 15. And if you're in the middle, you get the biggest section. Um, because you are the biggest section. You get verses 22 through 34. And we've got a slide, I believe, that has that information up there. So if you didn't catch all of that, read the passage with a few people in your row and summarize it in no more than two sentences. You've got three minutes. Go. All right. If you've moved, you can return to your seat. If you don't have your summary yet, you can kind of keep thinking about it. I'm going to talk for a little bit before I ask you. So before we actually hear your summaries, uh, I just want to kind of fill in a little bit of context. We just looked at Acts 16, but there's a lot leading up to this. So um, it's important to remember that Acts is volume two of a two-volume set. Uh, Luke writes the Gospel of Luke and then writes the, the book of Acts. And in the Gospel of, um, in Luke's Gospel of Jesus, we read about uh, Jesus' birth of God becoming incarnate, becoming human flesh and living among uh, the people. And as an adult, how he ministers and heals the sick and proclaims the good news of God's kingdom, uh, does miracles, teaches, gathers disciples, teaches them how to carry on his ministry, uh, and then eventually Jesus is arrested and dies, is crucified on a cross, and many of his followers are thinking, uh, this is it, this is, it's over. But on the third day, Jesus is resurrected, and in accordance with the scriptures, for our salvation, and he appears to his followers before ascending into heaven, which brings us to the second volume, to the book of Acts, where a new movement begins in the gospel of the kingdom. As the Holy Spirit empowers Jesus' followers, it 
It's a movement out of the temple as a central place for worship and faith as the Holy Spirit is working in people. And so it's a mobile type of faith and worship. Uh, And it's a movement that is not just for the religious professionals, but for everybody. The Holy Spirit being poured out on men and women of all walks of life. And it's a movement that's geographic as the disciples seek to fulfill Jesus' commission to bear witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And now we're getting into these chapters where they're moving beyond, out to the ends of the earth. And it's also a movement out of external holiness, ceremonial holiness, to an internal holiness as the Spirit works in people and with people to produce good works in accordance to, with the grace-filled kingdom of God. It's also a movement out of an excluding faith to an including faith. One that's inclusive of people from all nations in fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham that through Abraham's descendants, all the nations of the world would be would be blessed by God. And we left off last gathering in chapter 15 as the Christians, the Jewish Christians in particular, were like, what are we going to do with all these people who are coming to know Christ? And they meet together and they determine that these Gentile Christians don't need to follow all the Mosaic laws. And they actually give specific attention to they don't need to be circumcised and become Jewish in order to follow Christ. Which brings us to Acts 16. And if I can have a volunteer uh, from the first five verses to share your two-sentence summary. Anybody daring enough to share that? All right, one sentence, great. Paul circumcised Timothy. Yeah, so after that big confrontation, people don't need to be circumcised, and Paul goes to Timothy and says, you need to be circumcised. Uh, Anybody else have anything to add? We just have one sentence. We have two sentences. Okay. Great. Excellent summary. So they meet Timothy. He's half Jew, half Greek, have him circumcised, but he joins with them, and they're traveling around encouraging and strengthening the churches, Um, which brings us to verses 6 through 10, which I didn't have anybody read, so I'll try and do it in no more than two sentences. Uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy try to go to a couple different areas to proclaim the gospel, but interestingly, the Spirit says no and keeps them from going to these different places. Eventually, they have a vision of a man in Macedonia calling out to help, and they determine that this is the Spirit directing them to go to Macedonia to preach the good news. Which brings us to verses 11 through 15, which is this group over here. Anybody want to share a summary of these verses? One bold volunteer. All right, Sam, thanks. Paul, Timothy, Silas, Spirit, and many travelers met Lydia, a believer. And just as her heart was open to the Spirit, she opened her room to the travelers and they accepted Awesome. 
Great summary. So they meet, when they meet Lydia, whose heart is open to the gospel, and then she opens up her home to Paul and company. Uh, and that brings us to verses 16 through 22. Uh, Paul and Silas and company are traveling around, around Philippi, and there's actually a servant slave girl um, who's a fortune teller, and she's crying out, these are people of the Most High God, and they are proclaiming the way of salvation, and eventually Paul gets tired of them, of hearing this, and he casts out the, deem- the spirit in her through the power of Jesus' name. Uh, her owners are not particularly happy about this loss of income, and so they press charges against Paul and company, which brings us to the big section, verses 22 through 34. I'll be very impressed if you got this in two sentences. Uh, I got it four. Four, all right. Paul and Silas were in prison, shackled in jail, and singing when an earthquake occurred, opening the prison gates and loosening the shackles. The guard was ready to kill himself, believing the prisoners had escaped, when Paul spoke out loud and telling him they were there. The guard called for lights, rushed in, trembling with fear, and fell down before Paul and Silas, saying, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. And Jeremy took them to his home, washed their wounds, fed them. He was baptized along with his entire household, believing in God. Awesome. Everybody hear that? So Paul and Silas are in jail, experience a miracle, but they don't leave, and they end up uh, proclaiming the gospel to the jailer who accepts, and his whole household is baptized. Um, Kudos to you. Four sentences, that's appropriate. I think the passage was twice as long, so you get twice as long a summary. Uh, And then after that, the final verses, uh, the magistrates actually say, Paul and Silas, you can be released, but they say, we're not going anywhere. You come and escort us out of this prison. We are Roman citizens and deserve to be treated as such. Uh, So they are escorted out, and they return to the home of Lydia to encourage the believers before leaving Philippi. All right, so now we've got a snapshot of the whole chapter. Uh, Before we actually move into talking about that some more, I want to ask a rhetorical question. Have you ever found something at a thrift store, a garage sale, or maybe even just lying on the side of the road, and thought, eh, I could use that, or I could do something really cool with that? Anybody? Anybody? All right. Yeah, I'm sure most of us have had the experience at some point in our life of finding these hidden treasures uh, and making something beautiful or giving it a new purpose. So what does that have to do with Acts 16? Well, God is in the repurposing business. That is the good news of the gospel. Jesus takes us from the scrap heap rescues us from sin and death, and calls us God's children, giving us new value as His beloved family, and repurposes us for the kingdom of God. And this repurposing includes everything about us, our gender, our family, our job, our culture, our identity, our sexuality, When we receive the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are transformed by Christ. 
Our new identity is found in him, and everything about us comes under his lordship, his authority to be repurposed for the kingdom of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Repurposed, adapted for use in a different purpose, a kingdom of God purpose. God desires to repurpose everything about us Repurposing us for the sake of other people. Repurposing us to proclaim the gospel. And repurposing us with power. That is what we see throughout the gospel, throughout the book of Acts. And it's highlighted especially in these stories of Acts 16. Let's consider the story that starts the chapter. Paul just had this big confrontation in chapter 15, and then he's circumcising Timothy. What's up with that? Well, it's important that we realize that Paul is not circumcising Timothy in order that he can be saved. And it's also important that we realize that Timothy probably wasn't all that excited about having this very sensitive part of his body snipped All of the men in the room just tensed up a little as I said that. But here's the thing. Paul knew and Timothy was willing to undergo this procedure for the sake of others, for the sake of the Jews in the area, for the sake of the gospel. And Timothy submitted both his Jewish and his Greek identity to the Lordship of Christ and had it repurposed for the sake of the kingdom and the spreading of the gospel. His identity and his, well, you know, was repurposed for the sake of God's kingdom. Paul later writes this about Timothy in his letter to the Philippians. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And Paul writes this to Timothy, the spirit God gives us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline, repurposed for others with power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel. The young man, Timothy, has his life, his cultural identity, his age repurposed for God's kingdom. Then there's Lydia, the purple cloth merchant. She receives Paul's message and apparently goes home to proclaim it to her household as they are all baptized. And her life becomes repurposed through the Holy Spirit and her faith in Christ. Her job selling expensive cloth now becomes repurposed. We don't have any indication that she stopped selling cloth, but we do know what she did with her resources, using them to bless others, welcoming people into her home, using her wealth for the sake of God's kingdom, showing hospitality and sharing what she has. And she also finds new purpose in her faith as a woman, It's interesting that she actually has to convince and persuade Paul and Silas and company to come to her house. Well, social norms made it improper for a woman to ask people into her home, especially men. 
especially without first asking the man of the house if it was okay. But she finds power in her newfound Christian faith, a faith that breaks cultural norms and barriers about gender roles. Her statement is one of power. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, forget that I'm a woman. I'm a believer. And if you believe that, you'll come to my house. And perhaps she even teaches or reminds Paul and his company of the mutuality of men and women in Christ that God's Spirit would be poured out upon sons and daughters, men and women. Lydia becomes a pretty important person. Her opening of her home to the believers was crucial to the existence and growth of Christianity in Philippi. The last verse in the chapter indicates something about Lydia's role. It says that Paul and Silas returned to Lydia's house where the believers were gathered. It appears that Lydia, yes, the otherwise ordinary, the purple cloth saleswoman Lydia, the not professionally trained minister Lydia, was the first house church shepherd in Philippi. I wonder, who here might the Spirit be moving to repurpose to take on leadership roles in the church? And then there's the jailer, who also has his life repurposed, rescued from the clutches of death, quite literally. And I'm amazed not so much that he received the gospel after witnessing this miracle of the earthquake and people staying and proclaiming the good news to him, but I'm amazed at his response. He goes from being the one who shackled them in the stocks to the one who tends their wounds and invites them into his home and feeds them. I'm not sure, but I think this gives us an idea of the kind of compassionate, hospitable prison warden this man now became. Even being a jailer can be repurposed for the kingdom of God. And so we have a clothing saleswoman and a prison warden, not exactly what most of us would consider Christian occupations. They aren't pastors, they're not professional worship leaders, they aren't professional ministers, but their jobs still hold great kingdom value because of their kingdom purpose. Because the jailer and Lydia have submitted their occupation to the Lordship of Christ and the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit. They're just as valuable to God's kingdom as Paul and Silas. So the question is, have you submitted your vocation to the Lordship of Christ and to the power and direction of the Holy Spirit? What does it look like to be a kingdom repurposed teacher, computer technician, lawyer, construction worker, parent, 
salesperson, social worker, graphic designer, you name it. How is God desiring to repurpose your work for the kingdom of God? All aspects of our life, God desires to repurpose. And here's something that's absolutely essential in this repurposing. What stands out throughout this chapter is their attentiveness and their attunement to the Holy Spirit. It's evidence in the verses 6 through 10. I talked about where they realize we're not supposed to go there because the Holy Spirit says no. We're not supposed to go there because the Holy Spirit says no. Ah, yeah, the Holy Spirit's calling us there. But it's even more evident in Paul and Silas in their experience in the city of being arrested Rather than proclaiming their Roman citizenship as the magistrates order them to be flogged and beaten, which was against the law to do to a Roman citizen, rather than proclaim it there, they trust that the Holy Spirit is calling them to something higher. Trust even in the midst of suffering, being beaten and imprisoned, and yet there they are singing hymns and praying in the prison. The Holy Spirit's got a hold of them. And I have to wonder what kept them in that prison after the earthquake. I'm not sure about you, but if I see an earthquake and my chains drop off my hands and the prison doors open, I'm saying, all right, a miracle. I'm out of here. We're free. God did this, right? But they stay. Why? I think the question is who? The Holy Spirit saying, no, you have a purpose here. And that purpose becomes very clear to us rather quickly as Paul proclaims the gospel to the jailer and he and his whole household are baptized. There's a kingdom purpose led by the Holy Spirit. So we need to be attentive to the Holy Spirit. That's what we've seen throughout the book of Acts. And we do that through prayer, listening, through reading Scripture, but also being open to those small nudges when the Spirit pushes us towards somebody with words of encouragement or words of thanks. Or even just a nudge to ask somebody, how are you doing? And really listen to their answer. Sometimes paying attention to the Spirit means paying attention to the gifts and passions God has given you and seeing where they might fit with what's going on around you. Sometimes paying attention to the Spirit means looking around or listening around to observe and hear the needs in the church, or in the community, and saying, maybe I could help with that. And I'm so grateful that Nadia was here this morning to share some of those needs in our community. And maybe the Holy Spirit's moving you to say, hey, maybe I could help with that. Paying attention to the Spirit is about observing what God is doing around us whether it's through manna, whether it's through renew, 
whether it's through a church down the street, whether it's through a basketball league or a hockey league or parent-teacher conferences. The book of Acts is filled with stories of people being saved through Jesus Christ and repurposed through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's full of stories of people who opened their hearts to God's grace and said, thank you, Jesus. Now what? And stepped up to continue the ministry of the gospel. Friends, we're here to worship a mighty and awesome God who through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ saves us from the scrap heap of sin and death and repurposes us through the Holy Spirit. And I know there are people here who have seen God repurpose an area of their life just recently, whether it's finding new purpose in a job or in being single or in being a parent. Maybe it's free time that's been repurposed or seemingly mundane activities like doing dishes or cooking. But the Spirit has moved in you and given you purpose to these things. We need to celebrate how the great repurposer has been moving. And there's also a challenge and conviction to continually ask, what else am I holding on to that God wants to repurpose? How might the Spirit be seeking to repurpose this area of my life? Am I willing to submit and surrender that part of my life to the Lordship of Christ and trust that God will repurpose it for the kingdom? Maybe it's a call to a new job. Or maybe it's simply finding new purpose in your current job. Sometimes God calls us to change. And sometimes God calls us to greater faithfulness where we're at. But it's always a movement with the Holy Spirit and toward other people. It's submission, it's surrender to the Lordship of Christ in every aspect of our lives. Our age, our job, our gender, our culture, our citizenship, our freedom, our time, our hobbies, you name it. Everything God can repurpose with the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel of Jesus for the sake of other people all to the glory of God. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for your plan to repurpose us. Thank you for saving us from the scrap heap and calling us to be part of your kingdom, to be part of your family giving us value because of who you have created and called us to be. For giving new purpose to every area of our lives. We celebrate you. And God, we pray that we would be attentive to the Holy Spirit and the ways in which you are moving and inviting us to participate with you as you seek to repurpose different areas of our lives. God, grant us the wisdom to know 
how you are inviting us to be involved in your kingdom for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.